Well, good morning. I'm Terry, uh, and uh, as Cabot says, I'm. Uh, we just became uh, recently became members here. We've been here since uh, December, and we've enjoyed our time here. And this morning, we are going to continue our series on uh, Christian leadership from First and Second Timothy. And as you can see, the uh, the title for my talk this morning is Qualifications for Elder and Deacon. And so right away, I want you not to think it's only for elder or deacon. We're going to go through, you saw that long list, it's not just for them. It's specifically for them in terms of qualifications. But what we're going to look at today is standards, standards for all Christians to aspire to. And I, uh, I just want to tell you a little bit more about myself. When I went to college, I went to college to uh, not get a degree, but I went to college to play baseball and to party. Uh, great goals, right? Well, in my first semester in college, I uh, didn't have the kind of, kind of time that I liked, I wanted to have. And then so what happened to me at the end of, uh, like in November, someone said, would you like to go to the University of Illinois over Christmas? There's a conference there. I had been to Christian things before, but I've always found people who didn't give a rip about it. So I said I'd go, and I thought, this would be great. I don't have to go home and face all my friends and saying, college is not what it, I thought it was going to be for me. And so I went to Urbana, and what did I find? Urbana was these 12,000 Christian college students who really were excited about their faith. So at Urbana, I gave my life to Christ. I heard Billy Graham made a call and said, who would like to become a Christian? I said, I would. And then he said a little bit, a few minutes later, who would like to give their self to Christian service, uh, uh, full-time Christian service? I stood again. So anyways, I went back to campus. We had this fledgling intervarsity group on campus. Well, in the second semester, there was a guy named Paul Little. Paul Little uh, is, uh, at that point, was the, he was the director of evangelism, national director of evangelism for intervarsity. He's written a number of books. He's, he was a teacher at Trinity. Uh, I don't know if you ever, uh, How to Give Away Your Faith was a book that he wrote. And he came to our campus, and they said, would anybody like to have him come to your dorm and talk to your friends about Christ? So we had what was called a dorm talk. And we invited all our non-Christian friends. I invited all my non-Christian friends to come. And Paul Little was amazing. Everybody liked him. And, uh, and I said at the end of that night, if I ever have a job in ministry, I want his job. National Director of Evangelism. And I thought this would be really fulfilling for me. Well, 25 years later, that was the job I had. I had that job for 14 years. And at the end of it, I thought, you know, they need to have someone younger to work with college students and develop strategies to reach college students. And so all, University wanted me to stay, and they offered me uh, eight positions to stay with them. And every time I said, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And I realized after a while, I had had the job that I wanted. I wanted to be national director of evangelism. Everything else, if I wanted to stay with that ministry, I should have stayed with that job. So what I did was I then went on, and that the rest of the last five years, and that's why I'm here. Um, the second thing I want to say today is, who knows the name Walter Bueller? Anyone? Raise your hand. Does anyone know who Walter Bueller is? Let me ask this question. Who knows who Ferris Bueller is? <laughs> All right. So I, one of the things that really strikes me that right away is that I, you obviously know your movies better than you know your baseball players. We just show that slide of Walter Bueller. And um, 
Walter Bueller is a 24-year-old pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He right now could be one of the best pitchers in the major leagues. He's easily the top five. Walter Bueller, when he was seven years old, decided he wanted to be a baseball player. And so he worked. He read all about all the All-Stars, Hall of Famer pitchers. He's got these videos of all the people who are pitching today, and he emulated him. So he went to high school. So in high school, he started pitching. And uh, he, he got scouts, looked at him. The problem was he was, a, he was 145 pounds and 6'2". So finally, they said, I, San Diego said, we're going to take a chance on you. And we had this draft. We have three picks, and you're going to be one of them. So Walter Brewer, his mom and dad invited all their friends, 100 people from the community, to go to, to, for this night of the draft. So Walter Bueller, uh, the first round went by, no Walter Bueller was picked. The second round went by, no Walter Bueller was picked. The third, the San Diego Padres said, we are picking Walker, and all of a sudden the place exploded. And they said, Walker Winkle, not Walker Bueller. And so he then was devastated. He was not going to go into the pros. But he said, he took that and said, I'm going to go to Vanderbilt and I'm going to learn how to be stronger, bigger, and pitch better. Three years later, he was drafted 24th of all the baseball. And he got a $2 million signing bonus. And right now he's a, he's a major league pitcher. He weighs 185 pounds and 6'2". But... You know what? Setting your heart on something is a powerful motivator. Aspiring to be something or do something is a powerful motivator. And what it does, it sets direction. It determines your action steps. It determines how you deal with failure. It requires discipline. And you choose who your models are and who your mentors are. The question I have for you this morning is what do you aspire to do or be? What do you aspire to do or be? Next slide, please. I got it? Okay, there. Um, you could probably make it out. So um, anyways, if you look at your text, and two things I want you to have in your hands today is the text uh, you can have it in your bulletin. And then secondly, there's an insert in the bulletin that has this long list. I'm, I'll tell you this. It's, it's a challenge, actually, to uh, have a list of all these qualifications and kind of have to go through them all. Uh, but we're going to do it. And we're not going to cover all in the same detail, but I want to make sure that we have it. But first one says this. It is a trustworthy saying Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Just a little bit of the context here. In Ephesus, as we've been studying uh, 1 Timothy, there had been a moral collapse and uh, lapse in the area, in the, in the church in Ephesus. There's a, been a deflection of leaders in the church as well. And what this had done is the church in Ephesus had some instability. And during that instability that had meant criticism, both from insiders and outsiders, believers and non-believers. And I think what it raised for the church members is the question of the office of deacon and the office of elders were taken in suspicion. 
and they had disrespect for it. And Paul here is reminding them that there is honor in this office. And we ought to respect our elder overseers. And secondly, he's doing this to instill confidence in the leaders that are now there right now. Church leadership is a noble task. And it is desire, someone who aspires to be a church leader is desiring a noble task. Think about what you aspire to be and what you aspire and working to do. One of them should be church leader. It's a noble task to oversee and care for the church. It's a noble task with a heavy responsibility. It takes a deep commitment to the work of the church. So the question is, who is fit to lead the church? Who's fit to lead the church? You know, if you were, at, as Cabot says, I go around to uh, a number of churches across the country, and one of the things, if i sitting in a board meeting, one of the things that you'd probably think is this. Businessmen make the best elders. You know, management is management, right? And you sit in these elder meetings, and there's a bunch of businessmen, but others say, mm, not so much. Elders ought to be a person who is called to the position. Position. They ought to have a dependence on God. And there, might, there needs to be a perseverance when the, it gets tough. When things don't go the way, they stick with it. And there's examples of, look at Moses. He was a leader. You know, David. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Paul. They were all leaders. So in, verse, in chapter 2, last week, if you recall, we learned about what church ought to be like. What did church members ought to do. Today, what we're going to look at is what church leaders ought to be. And one of the things you're going to see in this whole list that's here, very little to do with duties, a lot to do with character. And that's why this is just not for elders and deacons. This is for all of us. What God is much more interested in us is not what we could do for him, but who are we becoming? Are you trying and are you working to become someone different? And that's what this passage is all about. I just want to make one, a point of clarification here real quickly. Next week, you've got to come back because uh, Cabot's actually going to explain the roles of elders and deacons. Today I'm just talking about the qualifications. But I'm going to use interchangeably elders and overseers because those are interchangeable words. If you were look at Acts 20, Paul said, he, he said, bring the elders of Ephesus to meet me. Acts 28, he addressed them as overseers. So don't get confused with the, the idea. But the, uh, the deacons just generally are those who preach and teach, our elders, I'm sorry, preach and teach, generally lead the church, and um, manage the church details. Whereas deacons, they tend to take care of the practical needs. And next week, Cabot will clarify that all to you and uh, correct anything I have wrong. So, uh, at least for here. <laughs> so, next slide, please. This is our uh, next thing we're moving to is, is this. Church leaders must be above reproach. And I said this already. The focal point of all the qualifications listed is their reputation among believers and unbelievers. Our leaders, 
the leaders we have here in our local congregation, it's so important, their reputation here and their reputation outside. That is so important. They have to be above reproach. And uh, so what's needed in any leader in a church context, and we'll, before we leave today, I'll tell you why this is important, is there needs to be a um, proven moral character and maturity. That's so important. And again, what we're seeing in this list, there's 15, and that's why you have that sheet in front of you, 15 qualifications. Very little to do with duties. A lot to do with character. And so what you see in, in both lists, look at your page, for the deacon and the elder, is the number one thing is they need to be uh, above reproach for the elder, worthy of respect for the deacon. And so why that's so important is, uh, is that seems like a high standard to be above reproach, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm losing already. But the whole point in all this is that you have a high standard because we're, we're, we're dealing with a very high mission. Our character makes a big difference. And so what's, the whole thing he's doing is he's saying here, your observable character is important. And one of the things we talk about, who should be elders here? Who should be the overseers here? Who should be deacons? I'd like to say we should be able to identify by observable character who are already in that role. You may not have the office, but your character would suggest you're already there because you're above reproach. So this, that's the first uh, qualification. The second is this. It ought to be uh, faithful to his wife. You know, it's interesting, the uh, new NIV right there is making, actually is making an interpretation of what that means. The Greek would be like this, would say it's a, it needs to be a one-man woman, or one-woman man. That's what the Greek says, one-woman man. And I think one of the things we need to know from the beginning so if above reproach is important, the first thing is, is mentioned is marriage. And because our marriage probably sheds a lot on our character. And he talks more about this. He says, you need to be faithful to your wife. The possible interpretations here, just so you understand it and see to make sure that no one's really feel like they're eliminated, is uh, one is, is that he's, he's saying you need to be faithful to your wife. You ought not to be a polygamist. Now, nah, probably unlikely that that's the, the, the thing here because it, the norm of that day was monogamy. The second thing is say, you may be a one woman man, it disqualifies those who are remarried after a death of a spouse. Well, it's even just a couple of pages further, in 1 Timothy 5 4, it says, Paul allows and encourages those who. Uh, have lost their spouse to remarry. And you say, okay, so they are qualified. Then the question, what about divorce and remarriage? Are they disqualified from being elders? Well, we see in the Scripture and the, as a whole that there's exceptions for that. The exceptions are that of adultery or that of a desertion. So the most plausible answer here is this. He's saying we need to be faithful in our marriage. 
And, I, and it says, and so the truth is, it, it doesn't, he's not answering the question here, what makes up a legal marriage? Or how many times you've been married? But who you are right now with, are you faithful? Are you committed? That's what he's saying. A person who's going to be a leader in a church needs to be in a faithful relationship with their spouse. And we're not going to look at, because of time, we're not going to look at details, temperate and self-control and respect. But I do want to point this out about hospitality. You know, in that culture, uh, hospitality was so important. So what would happen is that Christians would travel around the world, different places. And as they traveled, they wouldn't want to stay in public inns because they didn't like the pagan culture or the food that was offered to, altar, uh, to idols. So what they would do, they would seek out Christian homes to spend overnight. And what the, the byproduct of that was, was the fact that new friends were made. And also, uh, there's great fellowship. And, uh, and so there also was, in that, in that there was persecution in those for Christians as well. And for them... They lose their job, they had no place to go, and they were dependent on other Christians to offer them hospitality. Hospitality was a virtue for all believers. But in this case, he's saying this is a virtue for leaders. And that's a virtue today as well. We need to be hospitable people. And uh, that's important. Then the next is able to teach. I'm sorry we're just kind of flying through, but... My time's flying away, so uh, we'll stick with that because uh, I do want to cover as much as possible. And, uh, but the able to teach, and let me say this. An elder overseer is able to teach, not necessarily the context, but I think what the point is this. An elder can teach with spiritual power. Power that comes from study of the Word and the Bible an application to their own self. This is a distinctive of an elder, is they have this ability, a spiritual power, that when they speak, it has an effect based on their character and based on their own study. And you know that yourself. Sometimes you're, when you give help to some people, it has a power to it. And we want our elders to have a power to what they, what they say. And then he gives four Prohibitions, which contrast with one, uh, one positive. I'm not going to spend time with that, but he says, don't be given to drunkenness. I mean, <laughs> isn't that a sad thing? We have a list of our elders and our overseers, and don't worry, about, don't be a drunk. I mean, that's kind of interesting. He had to even include that there. He says, don't be a violent person. Don't be quarrelsome. Because, you know, quarrelsome is exactly what the false teachers were like in that day. They sowed discord, not harmony. And then finally he says, don't be a lover of money. I just want to point this out. In 1 Timothy 6.10 it says this. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Instead, an elder should be generous, have a simple lifestyle. You know, I, the question you might want to ask yourself today, how do you know that if you've begun to put money 
and material things before God. How do you know that? How does someone know that? Well, you can uh, ask Cabot to do a sermon on that. But I would say this is the first thing you can do if you haven't done it. Sit before God and ask him, have I done that? That's a good place to start. Have you put money, have you put material things before God? An elder is not what they're like. And then he contrasts what the elder ought to be like, ought to be gentle, a fruit of the Spirit, someone who is kind, considerate, and forbearing. So, now we've gone through 12. Pretty good, huh? It only took me a little while. Let's go through 13 to 15. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on them because these are three conditions for an elder that are conditional and see if you qualify. Look at verse 4. It says this, Manage his own family well and see that children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. Boy, that's, talk about an observable character, a quality. Manage your family well. See your children obey you in a manner of fully, of worthy of fully respect. I'm telling you, these, this condition and other conditions have been hard for a lot of folks. But let me just give you the context here of why he would say this. Order in the home in a typical Greco-Roman society would have the male as the head of the household. The society was very patriarchal in its nature. It, the household would have children. It would have a wife. It probably had slaves. And the obedience to the, and obedience to the householder was expected. And in that society, stability of the household was regarded as the fundamental for the well-being of society. So, the society expected the householder to do his task to keep the society together and command respect. So, for us, thinking about that, that was the culture here. And he says they must manage their household well, their children must be obeying them. So, when we look at recognizing elders, we can look uh, what God is doing. It's observable when we have children in our home, how we do with that as a quality. It's a consideration. So that's something we need to be thinking about and working at if you want to be a church leader. But what about those of us who are older and our children have gone astray? Does that mean you could never be an overseer or an elder in a church? Here I am helped by one of our church fathers, Theodore, who says this, What is meant by good management in the case of children is that the father is to guide them with wise counsel, such that if they end up as non-believers, it's not his fault. So, you know, there's lots of folks that I've known who have disqualified themselves for a number of reasons with their family. And God needs to help us. But realize that as our children grow, we want to be doing everything we can 
So in the end, it says, I'm not a Christian because of my dad or my mom. That's the first condition. Well, he ends up like this, and this is the argument. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can they care for God's church? The second condition is this. It can't be a recent convert. And we see a lot of this. You know, the, the person I thought about, and it's going to show my age, because in the 60s and 70s, there was a folk singer named Bob Dylan. Does anyone know who Bob Dylan is? Okay, thank you, old folks. Uh, but Bob Dylan was a, a popular singer. He wrote a lot of folk music songs. And all of a sudden they said, Bob Dylan has become a Christian. And he's got an album out about his Christianity. And everybody started saying, we got to listen to Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan's going to tell us a lot about Christianity. Well, lo and behold, six or eight months later, Bob Dylan became a Jew. <laughs> and so he was a recent convert who we probably shouldn't have listened to so quickly. But we, we do that. We do that, and, and why that's a disqualifier is, is because they become conceited. And when you become conceited, you fall into the same trap of the devil and the same judgment. A leader who is puffed up, who becomes conceited and has a position. What was the devil's problem? You know, the devil was actually created as a good angel. He was a good angel, and he fell. He fell because he wanted to be like God. And he's saying here is when we put someone who is too young into a position of leadership, and they can't handle it, we're making them subject to the same judgment that Satan has because of the pride. The third condition, it has to have a good reputation with outsiders. Let me just say this. Bad reputation in the community brings irreparable damage to the local congregation and to the entire cause of Christ. And lots of examples here, right? That some of our pastors in this community who have fallen and their reputation in their church has caused the church to really crumble. And now everybody laughs at those folks. So outsiders is very important. I would say this, uh, just to close this out, is that the list that I'm giving you does not mention perfection anyplace. We're not to be perfect here, but we need to be people, and you can see people where God is actively working and changing their lives. The work is not finished yet. But he is working. And again, I hope that you can look at this list not as I can never reach this, but as something that I want to work and make and have it happen. Oh, okay, now we're on our third point. Uh, I'm still in the second. Thank you for moving that on, but I'm still in the second point. Sorry, it's such a long point. And... Uh, but I do want to make this, I'm not going to say a lot about deacons because the list is very similar to that, of the, uh, to that of a elder, except for one exception, and that's a look at verse 9. A deacon must, hold, must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And what this does, it proves that they're disconnected with the false teachers 
whose consciences were actually seared. You know, and that it looks like in the Church of Ephesus, some of those were deacons that left. And uh, the deep truths here, what it means basically is this. The mystery, of a gospel, the mystery of the gospel is a deep truth. And that is unknown to the masses. But to the initiative, the initiated, they know it. They understand it. And the deacons knew this deep truth. They know the gospel. And they're committed to it. And their conscience is clear because of the blood of Christ in their life. Just moving ahead, verse 11. Let me read verse 11 to you. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So it seems kind of odd that there's, that's put in the middle there, right? Well, there's three ways to interpret that statement. One is it's for all women. Another is for the wives of the deacons. Or a third is a deaconess. I'm going to tell you right from the start, and Kevin can either support it next week, hopefully, is that this is for deaconess. And the reason I suggest this is for deaconess is because it takes the same structure as verse 8 for the deacon. So I think this is a separate group that actually is he's talking to. And there's evidence in the rest of Scripture as we look in Romans 16.1, where Phoebe is called the deaconess. Come back next week, and this will all be clear to you. Um, but those are the qualifications. And I, I commend these lists to you. Pray that you are moving forward in it. But I want to move on to our, our third point, point, is that church leaders, deacons in particular, are tested and rewarded. I think this is an interesting clause in the deacon clause that I want to make sure you get. Verse 10, look at verse 10. Deacons, they must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Let me read that again. Deacons must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve. The test is not if you can get out of the room fast enough to not be called. It's a three-part. This is three parts to this process. They must be tested. And they must prove their faithfulness by the testing. And if they produce results, they are proved. They prove that there's nothing against them. I think it's important to realize every assignment we do in God's economy is preparing us for another assignment. We just don't show up. We're trying to be faithful in the little God's calling us to do. Matthew 25, it won't take time to read it. The story where God gives talents to people. The one person that got five talents, he comes and produces ten. One got three and produces a six. He says, those who are faithful in little things will be given more. The last person was given one talent. He said, I know that you're a harsh man, and so I wouldn't hit it under my pillow. And he said, take that talent away and give it to someone else. 
We must be tested. We must be faithful in little things. This is the, that is important, but even more important. Look at verse 13. It's not just having a job. Listen to this. It says, those who serve well. Those who serve well gain two things. An excellent standing and great assurance in their faith. Those who are asked to do something serve and they do it well. Two things happen to them. One is their reputation in the community grows. But you know what the other thing that's even more important? They get greater assurance of their own relationship with Christ. That's a spiritual gift, a reward from serving well. And that's important for us. And that's what we want. I think the part of it all that we're looking at here is being a leader has a spiritual dimension to it. Being a leader accomplishes something for the gospel. Being a leader requires people who really can put it together. People who put it together as leaders and serve well are actually going to grow in their relationship with Christ. It's a different thing. The idea is that we give ourselves and we serve, not to wear ourselves out, but in a sense, we're helping the community grow. And secondly, we have this feeling of our own personal growth in the Spirit. Why does it require, the last point, why does it require uh, this type of leader to lead the church? It's required because overseers need to assure that the household is accomplishing God's purpose. And what God's purpose is through leaders to promote and to protect the truth. The church is the pillar and the foundation, the guardian and communicator of truth. Godly leaders make the message go forward and we spread it. And that's why how we act, how we serve, how we lead can adorn that message and make the gospel go forward. As we said, how easy it is with people who have reputations that are bad that can discourage the gospel. So we must have high contact, conduct. So let me close by saying this. I hope that I don't, I don't want the, the task to be so high we can't do it. But I want it to be high in a sense that it is trying to accomplish something great. But nothing's impossible with the Spirit of God. He can make us and change us more like Him. And there is hope. My hope is actually this, that as we think about adding elders and deacons and other leaders in the church, it'll be easily easy for us to recognize those who are working on those characteristics. So instead of saying, who do we vote for? Who do we identify? We can recognize that person's already serving as a leader and we want to make them have an official position.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have brought us to yourself. Thank you that we know the mystery of salvation. Thank you that we have been given a task to serve you and work with you. Father, I pray as we think about this passage, as we study and look at it more, that it will actually inspire us, just like Walker Buehler has aspired to be a pitcher. We'll want to be a leader. I pray that there's folks here have developed in their heart a burning desire to be more, to be better, to work forward. Give them the grace and mercy to accomplish that. In Christ's name, amen.